This morning, we're going to be taking a look at Matthew's Gospel. So if you have your Bibles nearby, whether it's a book in, in, the, in the seats in front of you or on a ga- uh, gadget, Matthew chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. In this Bible, it's on page 1503, Matthew chapter 4. And once you have that available, would you join me in prayer? Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite novels begins this way. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Do any of you know the title of that book? There you go. Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Maybe you recognize the opening phrase from this book that I read a few years ago. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. Um, Do you know what story this comes from? The sun did not shine. It was too hot to play. So we sat in the house all that cold, cold, wet day. Cat in the Hat by Dr. Seuss. Or how about this one? In the beginning. Where? And? John 1, verse 1. 
See, we do know some lines from quite a few different writings. Our text for today includes several quotes from the Old Testament. Both Jesus and the devil knew these passages by heart. The Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all include an account of the temptation of Jesus. Many preachers use this three-year cycle of scripture passages called the Revised Common Lectionary. And each year, the Gospel reading for the first Sunday of Lent today is one of those three temptation accounts. It comes right on the heels of a phenomenal scene, Jesus' baptism. Jesus comes up out of the Jordan River to the sound of a voice from heaven and a dove that lands right on him. There on the riverbank, our God makes himself known to everyone who is there, the Father, present as just a voice, telling everyone how thrilled he is with this son who he loves, and the dripping wet son himself, as well as the spirit who lets himself be seen coming down as a feathery dove. I would imagine that most people's jaws dropped when they saw and heard all of this at the Jordan River. God has a son? Who knew? No one else's baptism includes voices and landing doves. This must be someone pretty special. However, in the very next sentence, everything seems to go sour. The scene changes from the lush riverside to the harsh desert. And this special son is led to meet up with that great troublemaker, the devil himself. Jesus begins to equip himself by fasting, going without food for 40 days. Of course, prayer would have been the significant part of Jesus' fasting. And by the way, this is why, one of the reasons why, Lent is a 40-day journey. It parallels those 40 days of Jesus' fasting. After 40 days of not eating, it's not surprising that Jesus is very hungry. And that's when the devil shows up. In our text, he has three different names. He's the devil, he's the tempter, he's Satan. And digging a little deeper into the Greek, we can add more understanding to these words. Words like divider, a tester, an adversary, definitely not someone for us to cross paths with, especially after going without food for 40 days. That would be like not having anything to eat since January 20, and then have the devil show up today on March 1. Do you remember January 20? And no food for that whole time. So the devil begins with Jesus and his hunger. His weak spot, humanly speaking, why wouldn't Jesus want something to eat? 
The devil also echoes just a bit of that baptism event when he suggests that since Jesus is the Son of God, he could just go ahead and use his power to relieve his hunger. He doesn't say a thing, of course, about how pleased God is with Jesus, that Jesus has lived his life so far with the goal of honoring the Father. Devil's kind of sneaky like that, not saying everything. It doesn't matter to the devil that making stones into bread would indicate that Jesus just doesn't trust his Father enough through this very hard time. After all, Jesus does have the power. The devil is hoping that Jesus will have just a small amount of doubt in the Father so that Jesus will take his hunger into his own hands. This first temptation is not about changing stones into bread. This first temptation is about whether or not Jesus will trust and honor his Father. This crafty deceiver then tries to do a reverse action in his second go-round with Jesus. This time he tries to get at Jesus where his strength is in knowing God's word. At 30 years old, Jesus has learned that Old Testament very well, just like every other Jewish boy. It's safe to say, as Dale Bruner says in his commentary, that Jesus adores Scripture. The devil does not adore Scripture. He just knows it inside and out just as well as Jesus does. The devil quotes Psalm 91 to remind Jesus that the angels will catch him if he throws himself over the edge of the roof of the temple. The devil says that this will be a great way for Jesus to prove that he is the Son of God. The devil is hoping that Jesus has some sort of amnesia about the fact that God has already proclaimed that fact from the heavens at Jesus' baptism. This is my Son. So far, Jesus or the tempter has struck Jesus at his weak spot, his hunger, and at his strong spot, his knowledge of Scripture. His final strike is at Jesus' center, his love for God's world. After all, the reason that Jesus came is because the Father loves the world, as we read in John 3, verse 16. This world needs winning over, and the devil says that all it will take is for Jesus to bow down to the devil. Then bingo, the world will belong to Jesus with no struggle and no suffering at all. What's not to like about that? It will be a whole lot easier than this suffering that Jesus knows is coming his way before too long. The devil offers an easy shortcut to the work that Jesus has come to accomplish. Three temptations, three strikes at the whole person of Jesus, his weakness, his strength, and his purpose in life. What an entire disaster 
if the devil is successful. So what's your weak spot? On the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday, many people observe Fat Tuesday by enjoying one of those rich punchkis. I smacked my lips on one that was filled with Bavarian cream. Mm -mm. Food is one of our common weak spots, isn't it? There's nothing inherently wrong with food. It's the going overboard or underboard with our consumption that's the problem, as well as impacts on our weight and other health concerns. The devil loves to lure us into caving in to our weaknesses. Another weakness is our technology usage. It's good in and of itself. Some of you probably read scripture on your, on your phone this morning. But there is a strong pull to spend unhealthy amounts of time with it. Maybe we use social media to bully others. Maybe we're drawn to pornography sites. Or what about our inclination to gossip or to foster a critical spirit, to cheat? All done in order to make ourselves seem stronger. Of course, we do have our strengths. We have good stuff that makes us tick. We belong to Jesus, after all. The devil would love, though, to have us twist up the message of the gospel as we live our lives. It's easy to make a lot of Bible texts say what we want them to say in order to promote our own agenda. We all have a specific calling in this life to work at whatever God has enabled us to do, regardless of how old or young we are. But the devil... He would love to have us cut corners, to do our work in dishonorable ways. Maybe that looks like showing up late, or leaving early, or wasting time, shoddy workmanship, or taking credit for things we never did. Just like he did with Jesus, the devil loves to mislead us in connection with our strengths, our weaknesses, and the way in which we are living out God's calling in our lives. As much as we would like to deny it, we have to admit that the devil has his way with us all too often. You might recall that I used the word strike to describe the devil's temptation. In some ways, the the interaction between Jesus and the devil reminds me of a baseball game. When it comes to strikes, the rule is three strikes and you're out. So who is striking out whom in our text? Who's out of the game? So far, it seems as if the devil has thought of everything in order to get Jesus to fail or strike out in some way. But wait, the devil is not the only one speaking in our text this morning. Every time the devil does his deceiving prompting, Jesus responds with this opening line, throwing his own strike. It is written. Now that might not seem like a big deal, 
until we check it out in the Greek. And some of that job belongs to me to go to my little resources in my computer about that Greek stuff and help you appreciate it. That word in the Greek is gregropti. And Jesus, when he says that word, uses a very special Greek perfect verb tense. Grammar stuff is not always boring. It's pretty exciting sometimes. And today is one of the times. That writing that Jesus refers to and speaks about is to be understood as fully complete and having ongoing lasting effects for the readers. If we could listen to Jesus speak that Greek word translated in English, it would sound very powerful. It is written, or maybe written. And this comes from a man who has just spent 40 days fasting in the desert. He's only relying on something written in a book. In a book that he doesn't even have in his possession at the moment. The words that Jesus quotes come from his memory, his heart that he learned so well as a young Jewish boy. He trusts those words that are written in the Old Testament. As Dale Bruner says, when Jesus confronts the devil, he puts him down by means of a book. So when the devil tries to get him to make bread out of those stones, Jesus quotes words that are written in the book. It is written, he says. People don't just live on bread. They live on every word that comes out, comes pouring out of God's mouth. That means trusting God for everything. The Father has already announced that Jesus is his son. There's nothing more to prove. It has already been spoken. To make bread would be to doubt that marvelous baptism announcement of sonship. Looks like the devil has just suffered his first strike. Up on the temple tower, Jesus thinks about the quote that the devil gave about the angels giving protections. Hmm. It is part of what is written in the book. The devil even says, it is written. But the devil doesn't use it in line with the other parts of the book. Here he's brought Jesus to this high and holy place, uses some of the holy words that are written in the book, and then says, jump! Let's see if the words in the book are true. The power of that book continues when a still-hungry Jesus says, written. How dare you put God to the test? Jesus is thinking carefully about how Scripture supports itself. The devil's quote is quite true about caregiving angels, but it's not related to testing God at all, 
Besides, Jesus has already been claimed as God's son at his baptism. Jesus knows what is written in that book, and he knows how each part is related to the rest of the book. Another strike on that devil. As the devil winds up for his third effort, he's trying to entice Jesus to avoid doing that very hard thing he came to do, to be obedient to the Father and take on the sins of the whole world in order to unite this world with the Father. Remember the devil's offer? Skip the whole suffering thing. Just one quick little bow and worship the devil. Then Jesus can very easily have the whole world. Jesus strikes back for a third time, this time calling him by name. Go away, Satan. It is written. You will worship the Lord your God and you will serve him only. Satan strikes out and leaves Jesus alone without another word. He knows he's been beaten. He has been beaten by the power of Scripture, beaten by what is in the book. Are you aware that all of Jesus' responses came from the book of Deuteronomy? Many versions of the Bible contain this information down in the footnotes. This Old Testament book of Deuteronomy contains Moses' teachings to all the Israelites who survived those 40 years of desert wanderings. The Israelites listened to Moses just before crossing over into the Promised Land. The English title of this book literally means the law a second time. But its Hebrew title comes from the first phrase of the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 1. Verse 1. These are the words. It is written. These are the words from God himself. These words from Deuteronomy are the words that Jesus uses to give his response to the devil. These are the words that enable him to resist every temptation that the deceiver has to offer. And after this exhausting but obedient ordeal, now God sends his angels to care for his son. Once again, God has good reason to be very pleased with his son. Jesus did not try to prove anything. He only did what he came to do bring glory to his Father by being obedient, obeying the words that are written in the book. It is written. One of the psalm writers loved God's word so much that he or she filled up 176 verses with expression of admiration in Psalm 119. These words are for us to love, too, along with the rest of God's word in the New Testament. We can also say, written in connection with every temptation that comes our way, just like Jesus did. When Satan brings his devious ideas 
to us about our weaknesses, our strong points, or about living out God's calling in our lives, we can use those same responses, beginning with, it is written. At the beginning of Lent, this 40-day journey of anticipating Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, many people give consideration to what they will give up for Lent. Things like chocolate, meat, or social media. Maybe some of you have done something like that too. Perhaps, though, instead of giving up something for giving up something for Lent, we might think about what we might take up for Lent. Perhaps we might engage in a spiritual discipline. You don't have to do them all. One is good. A spiritual discipline, perhaps like fasting, or journaling, or simplicity, or prayer, stewardship, or scripture reading. Another possibility that goes right along with this morning's text is memorized scripture. That's what I'm going to focus on during this Lenten period of time. I'm going to work on memorizing the first 14 verses of, each, of Ephesians chapter 1. We often talk with our children about memorizing Bible verses. It's not just a great idea. For kids, it's a great idea for us grown-ups, too. Maybe we could join with family or friends and make a commitment to memorizing a Bible passage. We'd be following right in Jesus' footsteps, footsteps of filling our hearts and our minds with God's Word. Then we, too, can say, written in the book whenever the devil tries to have his way with us. Most mornings... I use this little book. It's called Seeking God's Face. The subtitle is Praying the Bible Through the Year, and I use this during my prayer time. It's another way to get what is written in the book into our hearts. The fact that we took time for confession in our morning worship today is evidence that we still fail to live out what is written in the book. God knows that about us. And so he gives us hope in many places in Scripture, but this one in particular from Hebrews. Because Jesus himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who is in every respect tested just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. During this time of Lent, we would do well to contemplate Jesus' suffering, including this huge battle with the tempting devil. 
Theologian Jeffrey Russell puts it this way. The central message of the New Testament is salvation. Christ saves us. What he saves us from is the power of the devil. If, however, the power of the devil is dismissed, then Christ's saving mission becomes meaningless. When we gather around the table this morning, we do think about Jesus' pain and his suffering. But if that's all we think about, then those thoughts are not much more than empathy pains. What really makes our eating and our drinking together at the table truly special is our victory celebration of this battle between Jesus and Satan. Jesus knows all about our struggles with our sin. He knows we can't conquer it on our own. So he did it for us. Because Jesus knew what was written in the book. He could take on that devious devil and beat him every single time. Thanks be to God for letting all of us share in that victory. Amen. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we've been hearing about your word this morning, about what is written in the book. There are dozens of copies of it right here in this room and even more in our homes. Forgive us for leaving it closed so many times, for not allowing it to be poured out into our hearts on a regular, faithful basis. Give us a hunger for everything that is written in your book. We proclaim to you, O God, as Martin Luther wrote, that though this, devil, this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them, abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. We give you thanks for your word, for everything that is written in your book, and for Jesus our Savior, the Logos, the Word, who was with you from the very beginning and in whose name we pray. Amen. Please join us to sing.
be seated. God has fed us from his word, and now we have the privilege, as we do usually on the first Sunday of every month, to be nourished at the Lord's table. So people of God, lift up your hearts 